Blog Talk Radio. harmony. The earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity. Human being, human love, on a spiritual tip. So vast, so great. The African embrace Live beyond Love beyond Your skin To where you belong Yeah. 
Uh, Brother Africa, thanks for having me. <coughs> my name my name is Haiki Kamafra Mishoki, Colonel with African Awareness. And of course, you know, excuse me, <coughs> of course, you know, my thing is all about institution building. But, you know, before, you know, but prior to any discussion around institution building, I think a certain information has to be uh, imparted in order for people to appreciate these very serious conditions we find ourselves in. Uh, one, of the certain, one of the problems in terms of navigating where we are historically is there's a fundamental lack of understanding in terms of systems. Uh, in, particular, in, the, in particular, when we talk about the West, often you use the term uh, free world. And uh, ironically, the, their conception of free world is totally different than you and I's perception of free world. And this confusion is in part and parcel responsible for the confusion that generally exists in society around this whole question in terms of what constitutes a free world. But in any event, I thought I'd write this little piece because I think we should provide some clarity in terms of this whole question around free world and whether or not this free world that the West alleged exists actually exists at all. But in any event, check this out. Now, the hierarchical nature of political structures have not always existed vertically. Where class standing define human beings' worth, but horizontally as well, where ruling by decree meant the needs of the community must be accounted for in the day-to-day implementation of political decisions. In pre-Hellenistic Africa, prior to 1700 BC, many African communities practiced centralized form of government, focusing on equality of resources, resource sharing among the population. This, of course, does not negate those African communities that practiced non-centralized forms of government where power was dispersed, giving rise to theocracies that placed emphasis on their group needs <clears throat> to the exclusion of others. This distinction is remaining in understanding the vertical political structure that guides human affairs today. Some historians take the position that evolution of vertical structures gained prominence during the Bronze Age or 2300 BC, where metallurgy, the use of metals to fashion weapons, were utilized by authorities to form and control and in the process shape institutions to operate in a manner vertical structures was the only legitimate foundation for political structures or systems. Utilization of arms to enforce one's will <coughs> is a legitimate point, but to argue that merchants of weapons was primarily responsible for the expansion of vertical structures is a stretch. <coughs> as far back as 2500 BC, weapon manufacturing using metals existed in Kush with some referred to as Kush, also referred to as Nubia, or ancient Sudan, and Kemet, ancient Egypt. Despite the presence of weaponry and its technological spread to Greece, ultimately, the Western world, the struggle between employing a vertical structure or maximizing control and a horizontal structure maximizing equality, both sides of the issue had access to weapons. Access to weapons in and of itself, in all probability, <coughs> could not have been the, definition, the definitive factor in the emergence of vertical structures. Clearly, this gulf had to be bridged. With all things equal, the aristocrats and the nobility class both had access to prevailing weapon technology. Realize this course was the only most effective way forward by demonstrating the advantages of one structure over the other. Did indeed proceed among Western elites. In D.W. Noble's book, Historians Against History, the idea of the utility of vertical structures won decisively. From this foundation, capitalism seemed a logical evolution. With its focus on material possessions, most of the citizens would be handicapped. Free not to collectively barter over wages, free not to enjoy basic human dignity, 
free not to obtain quality medical care. <clears throat> the citizen were the citizenry were anything but freed. Ironically, the freedoms not afforded people during the Middle Ages, 15, 16, 17, 18th, 19th centuries, reemerged, repackaged as a qualitative good around the world. The free world would conquer evil in the world by first dispatching the evil Germans and Japanese who threatened global security, then set their sights on evil socialist countries whose attempts at reviving horizontal systems to facilitate feeding, housing, and educating its people, the most villainous of villains. Spearheaded by the U.S., eradicating the non-free states that seeks to share resources with its poorest, poorest inhabitants must be tirelessly targeted by U.S. intelligence agencies. And in any country predisposed to proclaim the righteousness of the socialism must be destroyed, <coughs> on which no country is safe. If you recall, Russia fought with the U.S. to defeat the evil axis consisting of Germany, Italy, and Japan. Russia lost between 27 to 37 million citizens during World War II to defeat countries that represent a real threat to the world. The U.S. response after the conclusion of the war the U.S. State Department and the CIA resumed operational plans to undermine and destabilize the Russian government because Rus Russian history understood work in solidarity and combating inequality in capitalist societies. In the context of U.S. history, how can society be free if exploitation, economic or otherwise, is, ex is excluded? It is exploitation that makes America free. Now, implicit in Western concept of freedom is the inherent treatment of its people and the hoarding of resources. Of course, the systematic plunder of its people or people of the global south generally must entail institutions that transfer wealth from the poor to the wealthy. While the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank create conditions to impoverish the global south, Western domestic economies achieve the same result by using central banks to facilitate flow of wealth to the wealthy. This process is first legitimized by an arrangement by Western leaders to purchase dollars at all costs. Even as the value of the euro reaches parity with the dollar, eliminating any economic advantage to the European Union's economy in terms of trade, the value of trade with the U.S. continues unabated despite harm to the U.S. to the EU economy. Trade conducted with, the, with China or Russia would be certainly more greater to the EU. This, this, excuse me, this proposition to undermine the EU economy comes all the more problematic as U.S. trade deficits and corporate debt skyrockets, impacting the value of the dollar. The value of the U.S. dollar directly impacts the EU's economy. <coughs> so, why, so why in the perspective to enrich the U.S. economy? Those, these are, excuse me, there was no question uh, trade agreements affects the, US, the EU's decision, but it cannot be discounted. The Western definition of free world resonate with Western leaders. In fact, Keep in mind, free world <coughs> excuse me, investments do not consider common good. In fact, EU investors spent $10.8 billion in foreign direct investments in U.S. stocks in 2019, while foreign direct investments in the EU were only $8.6 billion in stocks. Providing the stockholders hold the stocks for six months, no taxes or capital gains are incurred from EU investors, which, which affects revenues for social spending. In addition, the stipulation does not preclude placing funds in tax shelters like Monaco or Switzerland where investment, investments originating from other states are easily concealed or no taxes required. Now, the philosophy that undergirds the pursuit of 
investors into the EU market quite clearly spares, spells out the benefits of EU investments and advantages within. One such EU policy states, making it easier to invest by creating a predictable and transparent business environment. At no point did the policy say investments are limited based upon social good, that, so, <coughs> that social trivial, that's, excuse me, that such trivial concerns are of no concern to the elites in Europe. Coupled with declining investments in social spending, we are we are pretty much we can pretty much conclude the EU is free to impose austerity or poverty on the poor, the biggest freedom of all. Such is the reality of the Western leaders' groupthink that pertains to the so-called free world. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. From Brother Haki, you go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, welcome to. Africa on the move. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, uh, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa, under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And following Brother Anthony, we will bring in Brother Moses. And we'd like to welcome him as well to Africa on the Moon. Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I believe that women hold up half the sky. That's why I'm pro pro-choice, that's why I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, that's why I say ERA, yes. And the, the situation continues to be unite the many to defeat the few. And so we have a commonality that we must recognize, and once we recognize our commonalities, we will be able to, to do greater things and greater things from unity that will be strength. And um, as working class, a member of the working class, I, I, um, I say we have nothing to lose but our chains. And um, there's there's class feelings and class emotions and class ideas. Anyway, I'll leave it right there. Thank you for allowing me to be on the show, Brother Africa. Thank you. Anytime, Brother Moses. You know you're always welcome. From Brother Moses to now to our sister Eleanor, we would like to welcome Sister Eleanor to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Sister Eleanor. Can you hear us, Sister Eleanor? Let's try this other number. Sister Eleanor, going once, once, twice. Can you hear us? Okay, we have some problems with Sister Eleanor. What we're going to do right now, 
We're going to take a station break. We're going to listen to some music and liberation. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what's going on in your world and the community. You can join us by calling in at 323-679-0841. This is Brother Africa, and you are listening to Africa on the Move. Let's go. 
History fact that on in the year 1973, Chile socialist government falls to U.S. led fascist coup of President Allende and thousands of others killed. That was in 73, and when we talk about this whole question of U.S. imperialism, that's another historical fact in terms of this particular institution, this particular country, this particular um, history is a history of crimes against humanity. But anyway, we can continue to move down the road as we go into our segment, what's going on in your world and the community. Our theme today is part one, looking at the past and present. Again, we invite you to share your stories as it relates to looking at the past and the present. And we want to provide you with information so it becomes a tool for liberation, to help liberate your people and help liberate humanity. This is a job and a role of Africa on the move. So this is our small way of making or trying to make our contribution, our proper contribution to humanity and our people. So like always, we can get started. I go up to our Twitter panel and analyst in terms of what's going on in your world music. I bring in Brother Haki back in. Brother Haki, talk to the people. What's going on in your world in the community? Oh, well, brother, well, brother Africa. This, uh, you know, uh, one of the things I find extraordinary, you know, there seems to be a great uh, amount of uh, discourse around the question in terms of the values of capitalism, it seems to me that the values are indisputable when you look at the kind of destruction and mayhem that, that exists in the society and throughout the world, then one should conclude that there's something fundamentally wrong theoretically uh, with, the way, with the way capitalism is practiced. The mere fact that there is this uh, divergence of agreement in terms of what, what, what precisely is capitalist values, I find somewhat problematic. But anything, Brother Africa, my position is that you know, capitalist values are counterproductive or destructive you to humanity at large. But in any event, I wrote this, uh, I, I, you know, in terms of this whole question around capitalism values. Now, capitalism ethos that makes materialism the, main, the epic center of life inevitably marshals into existence needless chaos, strife, and inhumanity. Examples abound in embracing capitalism dictates that have resulted in immeasurable suffering, injustices, and hostilities resulting in, in fighting, 
ethnic rivalry, and war. Embracing such a value system not only contributes to the hardship for humanity, but when the masses embrace this capitalist value system, it not only legitimizes the rancor affiliated with capitalism, but reinforces its legitimacy and in the process normalized behavior and norms that are fundamentally irrational. The veracity of this claim can be divided by three events that epitomizes the arbitrary nature of capitalism. The first is the massive debt incurred by Ukraine to fight a war and benefit to Western investors. Secondly, Ukraine's bombing of nuclear power plants. And thirdly, banking while black. Now, the first event. Currently, the U.S. sends Ukraine $228 million per day. This comes to between $40 billion between February to August of 2022. Add an additional $2.2 billion this month in military spending, Ukraine debt rises, rises exponentially. Superimposed additional debt from the World Bank since 2014 of $8.4 billion, international monetary fund debt of $17 billion, and the European Commission debt of $13 billion, the Ukrainian nation will be awash in debt for the foreseeable future. However, the economic benefits to Western states will be enormous. Ukraine debt repayment to U.S. alone will be $127 billion in 2022 this year, up from $97 million just a year ago. Now, why does Zelensky indebt his country? Well, it follows capitalism line which validates enrichment of the individual at all costs. Zelensky will prosper irrespective of the state of the Ukrainian economy. Associated with oligarchs and their mafia ties, Zelensky stands to make considerable more if the economy is in shambles. Certainly, a feeble economy would justify increased commodity prices and inflation levels that would benefit organized crime. Does this fate does the fate of the average Ukraine fit in this calculus? Of course not. Capitalism dictates their concerns unimportant. Secondly, reports alleged by Western government sources alleged Ukraine has been attempting to bomb nuclear power plants under control by the Russians. According to the International Atomic Energy Agency, attempts were made to attack nuclear power plants using artillery fire this month. Previously, it was alleged Similar attacks occurred using drones and artillery, successfully damaging cooling systems and power lines of two nuclear power plants. Think back. Recall the ecological devastation of Chernobyl, Russia in 1985 and Fukushima, Japan in 2011, where nuclear power plants melted down. The destruction of thousands of acres of land for the former and discharging nuclear waste water into the ocean for the latter should have been sufficient to alert the world of the perils of radiation, radiation leaks, not with capitalism. Unfortunately, the, the drones used to carry out the tax on the nuclear power plants were provided by the U.S. and the U.K. Why would the U.S. and U.K. not intervene to put an end to a military strategy by an ally that have grave implications for the world? In the word, capitalism. In a country, in a country like the United States, $40 trillion in debt unofficially, Ukrainian debt weighs heavily. The, the sooner the war concludes, the sooner the U.S. can possess Ukrainian assets for repayment. The country's infrastructure from sanitation to roads, from universities to airports, all run the risk of being privatized. Repayment is assured, but more importantly, opportunity to obtain Ukraine's assets ensures happy investors' enhance, enhancement of their wealth. In this context, why would the U.S. concern itself with the plight of radiation circumnavigating the globe? For capitalists, it's simply the cost of insuring profits. If these profits come at the expense of hundreds of thousands of lives, so what? 
There are too many people, unproductive people, on the planet anyway, what the capitalists call a win-win situation. Finally, <laughs> the third event, banking while black. This final example really encapsulates the ordeal of internalizing capitalist principles for the masses of people. Capitalism, capitalism conditions us all to see others as a means to an end. In other words, others are on, have value only if we can monetarily benefit off of them. This probably accounts for the extensive misery of American citizens. In, in this case, in this case, banking while black, a 71-year-old African woman, Lizzie Pugh, attempted to cash her winning casino check at a bank in Michigan. But upon interacting with bank, with bank official, was told the check was the check is fraudulent. No more casino winnings were legitimate. She attempted to retrieve her check. Asking to speak with with a supervisor, she was told by the second bank employee the checks were indeed fraudulent. She too refused refused to return her check. A third employee concurred it was fraudulent and refused to return the check as well. Threatening to call the police, Miss Pugh agreed police should be summoned. Since Miss Pugh was adamant about retrieving her check, the third employee returned the check to Miss Pugh. Miss Pugh took the check to another bank and opened up a savings account. Fortunately for Miss Pugh, her niece advised her to seek legal redress for undue stress and humiliation. Apparently, these three white women thought Miss Pugh an easy target to abscond with her check. No doubt Miss Pugh's age and ethnicity played a part in the banker's willingness to attempt to extort money from her. Biases aside, the willingness to extort for financial gain is directly from the capitalist playbook that routinely employ economic variables like inflation rates, interest rates to extort money from the masses. Social conditioning around extortion under capitalism is so ingrained that there need not be a tangible benefit from committing extortion. Ms. Pugh's check was only $1,200. Can anyone reasonably argue $1,200 worth losing one's job at a bank in a relaxed atmosphere? Perhaps playing on others is a reward within itself. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we'll go to see if we got our sister back probably before our break. Sister Eleanor, can you hear my voice, Sister Eleanor? If you can, <clears throat> let me know. Yes, okay, yes I can hear you, Brother Africa. Good evening, Welcome. Brother Africa, and to the fellow analysts and our listening audience in the United States and abroad. Okay, Sister Eleanor, it's your, your time to share with the world. What's going on in your world in the community? Uh, Brother Africa, the water issue right now in Jackson, Mississippi, as well as the one in Flint, Michigan. We continue to see uh, an environmental crisis globally, but in particular in African communities such as Jackson, Mississippi, and Flint, uh, Michigan. We continue to see people suffering and dying from diseases Why? Uh, Nestle's continues to profit by purchasing water in Everett, Everett um, Michigan at an annual price of $200 annually while selling Flint bottles of water at a dollar each. So we see uh, capitalism at height. But what concerns me is that there's a time right now when 
people need to make sure that water in each and every municipality, whether it be a county, city, or state, because water is regulated by states, counties, and cities, that it remain a public utility. In addition to support Brother Ike, uh, he talked about uh, Chernobyl. Well, Chernobyl is in uh, the area where the Russians are trying to uh, maintain their sovereignty while the while the United States and the West is encouraging uh, the Ukrainian people, an ethnic minority, to secede from Russia. And the Russians had been hiding out in the nuclear power plant and using it as a safe place for its soldiers in its advancement and, and goals to maintain access and control of the two regions that in 2014, clearly through the, uh, through the voting process, chose to remain a part of Russia despite the U.S. investment and train, military training to Ukrainians. And um, somehow the, the, the military, the nuclear plant alleged to be bombed. But the independent uh, committee that went and inspected the nuclear plant realized that it is in fact not being bombed that the workers are there and uh, and Russian soldiers are there. It's a safe place. Now, the drones are provided by the U.S. and uh, um, Great Britain, I would imagine, but I know that the U.S. has invested the most in terms of military equipment to the Ukraine. This takes on the appearance of a proxy war. We also see that the capitalists are and, and multinationals are trying to marginalize Russian gas and oil commodity prices. Now, they call this sanctions. Well, these sanctions are a, a form of exploitation, just as we see that is happening uh, with the Venezuelan planes in Argentina and with President Biden's sanctions uh, against the Venezuelan, Cuban, and Nicaraguan people. So it is important that we begin to understand geography, and I'm glad that Brother Haiki brought up the fact that Chernobyl is a part of Russia and in Russia, because today it's in the Ukraine. It's as if suddenly California retroceded from the United States, or maybe Texas. I say California because what the Russians will lose if they lose this conflict will be access to its Navy in the Black Sea. And uh, this definitely is an attack on the sovereignty of the Russian nation. And in terms of the pipeline, uh, the pipeline was shut down briefly for summer repairs, but the Russian people right now uh, had demanded to be paid in ruples. 
They do not wish to be played in euros. And this seems to be a political conflict of the United States. The Cold War is over. The expansion of NATO is a world crisis. It not only affects uh, the Europeans, but it affects Africa in particular and other nations. And the expansion of NATO is not what we need now. There is no Soviet Union. And we are now providing weapons that the Europeans had never owned, never seen, and providing training while we ignore the humanitarian crises in Afghanistan, we ignore what's going on and, and help further the attack on the uh, Congo Central Republic, and we ignore what's happening in Yemen. And we see children suffering and dying in Somalia of starvation as well as Ethiopia. So these are questions that need to be addressed. And why is the U.S. so concerned about the Ukraine retroceding from Russia? Thank you, Susanna Noah. We now go to Brother Moses and ask him what's going on in his world and the community. And the community. Brother Moses. Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, we're keeping up with the politics in command, um, internal contradictions, being decisive for change. So that's my focus. Um, um, I try to stay stay conscious of, of world events and what's going on around me. Um, Obviously, the queen is, is is deceased in England, um, and there's a new king. Uh, I, as a Marxist, um, you know, don't, don't look for egalitarian societies, and uh, feudalism is is an antiquated um, in my world. But but you know, uh, my world doesn't rule the world, so. Um, I, I, I'm the the Trump cases uh, is and the Steve Bannon and all that. I'm trying to keep up with that. Uh, um, I'm trying to see the justice is served, and uh, and uh, because that's 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 the anti-fascist movement right there. Uh, United Front Against Fascism, and a real fascist, real front, real unity needed. Um, um, I don't know. There's there's a lot going on, but then in a lot of ways, you know, the the world is changing slowly, slowly. So, you know, in terms of the critical contradictions, I'm going to leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses, we're bringing Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? Okay, a couple of key events. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, most schools have started back in the U.S. 
And uh, a lot of uh, jurisdictions are using uh, either police or retired policemen to provide security. Uh, You know, even at the elementary school level, uh, you know, as early as kindergarten. And, uh, you know, and I think that that should be a serious concern because instead of, uh, you know, uh, uh, lessening or alleviating the threat of violence, I think it increases it. And it increases the fear that, uh, uh, you know, that uh, some uh, uh, children may have in terms of going back to school. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, it's not, uh, you know, good news as far as from an educational standpoint of our youth is concerned. Also, um in relation to uh uh to an uh to an item that uh brother Moses brought up there are africans in the caribbean as well as other parts of the diaspora that are calling for reparations and the abolition of the monarchy and uh i thought uh you know this was an interesting development uh because uh it's uh different from uh you know the way the uh you know the us media portrays the way things are happening and uh i've not seen anything in the us mid- media about this uh uh you know this a- aspect of uh queen uh elizabeth ii's uh passing and uh i think it's uh you know significant that after all the oppression all the centuries of oppression that africans in the caribbean in particular are demanding reparations and abolition of the monarchy. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And I would pick it back on something that Brother Anthony just stated, and I want the panelists to weigh in on it. And that is, I'm trying to figure out the correlation, the correlation between um, a educational institution, i.e., schools, and the institution of criminal justice. We talk about the police department. Why in the hell you have or see a need to have police policing in any education institution, but particularly you talking about an institution where you're dealing with kids who are just in the kindergarten, first grade, elementary school? Where are our psychologists and educators? Those two don't go together. Psychologically, impact that you are having on the children at such a young age and stage of development. Why in the hell anyone would have a police secured a elementary school? Hell, the teachers can't deal with those little kids at that level. They don't need to be teaching. 
So, panelists, where y'all weighing on this thing? That that is critical in terms of looking at the psychological well-being of our children being exposed to being treated as if they are born a criminal. Brother Haki, talk to me. What you make of that? Yeah, Brother Africa, the uh, psychological well-being of the children is, is not an issue, particularly, you know, you know, when you talk about, you know, uh, the poor school districts. Uh, one thing we have to understand, the capitalist has a very um, formidable plan in terms of proliferating your propaganda. One of the things you want to do is facilitate this idea that the that there's a, a potential threat everywhere. In that, in that sense, you, you multiply the sense of fear. And if you can multiply a sense of fear, you can, you can keep people from interacting with one another. Actually, people begin to distrust one another out of fear. And that's precisely what you want as, as, a, as a capitalist in society. And so by having, you know, uh, you know, police in these schools, then you send a message to the society at, at large which says that this is a very dangerous place. No one is to be trusted. See, uh, we're here to safeguard your children because none of these people are here can be trusted. And it's a very powerful and very, 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 very powerful message they send. And, and, and you ask the question, why is it that the, 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 the teachers, why is it the psychologists, why are they not intervening and say, listen, this is insane. I mean, the, the message that you're sending to these young children is insane. Well, they won't do it simply because of, very simply because of a paycheck. They're not going to do it. Or those who are conscientious who understand the harm done to these children, uh, they, they, their concerns are, 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 are less relative that paycheck and so therefore they're not going to say anything that's going to buck the system and that's unfortunate but the, but the pacific impact in terms of the children you know going to school and elementary schools and seeing these police around them they get a bad perception in terms of who they are uh those kids grow up thinking i must be a bad person because in order for me to even go to school i have the police to safeguard you know uh you know uh <clears throat> you know my my existence while i'm at school so therefore, we must be horrible people because because otherwise, why would they have the police there? So the young person who can't reason out the reason out the rationale behind, you know, society's need to have police in the schools, children sort of internalize that and and and, and turn that that uh, turn their perspective inward, in which they start looking at themselves in terms of the possibly being the source of the problem. So if the kids start thinking they're legitimately bad, which warrant police being there. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't bode well in terms of their self-esteem, or their their ability in terms of you know uh, 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 actually evolving to the point where they're able to achieve you know or to achieve their maximum capabilities. So 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 clearly, uh, brother Africa, you know this is all part of a strategy, and this is the thing we have to understand. We, I keep saying that people, you know, we we keep playing check checkers, but we have to begin to understand that the system plays chess. And they use any and every means in terms of making sure they can not only divide the masses of people, but in effect condition the masses of people to accept one their powerlessness, uh, two uh, their inability to affect change, and thirdly, you know, uh, uh, thirdly the ability to even change how they perceive themselves. And so, therefore, you know, when, when you when you when you talk about this this, this potent mix of you know um, this, or in terms of dissemination of, of propaganda. Then you have to understand, you know, that when these people do this kind of stuff, they understand clearly what the implications are. It's important that we, as a people, that we understand what the implications are. And so, as far as addressing these cops in these elementary schools, these middle schools, 
It's coming upon us in the community to bring pressure to bear because these teachers and psychologists are not going to do it because that's their paycheck, and they're not going to do it. That's just the bottom line, and I'll close with that. Brother Anthony, you know, the first day of school, first grader, first time going to school, first day of the year, before you go into your school, the first thing you see is police cars out in front of you, out in front of your school. The first person you see when you walk through the door is a police officer. Something's wrong with that picture, Brother Anthony. What is your take on this phenomenon? Should they be allowed to be in any school, particularly elementary schools? They should not be. But uh, there were some incidents that took place last school year in which, uh, you know, students were attacked by armed uh, armed gunmen with assault weapons. Uh, Give the example of Uvalde. Texas, where uh, where an armed uh, where 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 elementary school students and teachers were attacked by gunmen with an assault weapon. So uh, the uh, incidents like that are used to inculcate fear that uh, that the only way is to rely on more policing. Rather than getting to the root of the problem, which is the proliferation of assault weapons, but uh, uh, politicians won't do that because uh, there are corporations that profit from the sale of those types of weapons. And uh, and so they won't do anything to address that. So it is on the community, uh, on the upon the community to get organized to demand an uh, an alternative uh, to uh, increase security measures, such as that, such as uh, limiting the availability. Of uh, of weapons, but there are corporations in the U.S. that make a lot of money off of selling weapons to anybody that can afford to buy them, and uh, so they will not take that step unless the people get organized enough to demand it. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Uh, there anything wrong with having police officers, not only in schools in general, but particularly on the elementary level? What's your thoughts on on that particular issue, Sister Eleanor? Unfortunately, we don't have uh, um, um, standardized curriculums in many uh, municipalities. And as Brother Anthony said, we've recently seen uh, – uh, 22 people die, children die in an elementary school, shot by a young man just a couple of weeks past this, where it was legal for him to go in and purchase uh, 294 or more assault weapon bullets 
whereas it was illegal for him to purchase a beer. So there are many social contradictions. And as we begin to militarize the police more and more, and as we begin to see communities that uh, are stockpiling, uh, where individuals stockpile weaponry in their homes, there is a crisis. And as Donald Trump continues to talk about saving America and bringing back America and supporting this type of military aggression, such as the coup on January 6th on the Capitol, we will continue to see the acceleration of of, uh, military-type techniques in our communities, and it is dangerous and harmful. I myself uh, think back, and I never saw an officer of any type even visit an elementary school or middle school. This is a ridiculous phenomenon. And it doesn't promote safety. It does just as the analyst said, it promotes fear. And it also lowers the self-esteem of the students. And with a failing educational system where people can find themselves 12, 13 years old, who have attended school routine and regularly with the hope for a future, unable to read on a first grade level, level, this further uh, exacerbates the problem. And no, um, these officers do maybe not intentionally, but just by being present in elementary schools, undermine the community and the idea of safety, peace, quiet, and enjoyment. The community, and by this very action, is deprived of peace, quiet, and enjoyment. Thank you, Sister Noah. Talk to me, Brother Moses. What's your thoughts on this particular issue? You know, well, you know, I think that the, the last few, few we've, we've got a, a concrete analysis of concrete conditions in terms of the historical, the dialectical development of, of these, this um, concept and idea of policing uh, as, a, as a counter to, to terrorism, quote, unquote. Um, um, these, these, these elementary school shootings, um, um, people use that to justify their 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 um, belief in the police. And um, you know, we live in a society where, like I said, there's class ideas and there's, there's class emotions and class. It's, you know, it's, it's just, uh, people express their viewpoints. And uh, coming from somewhere and going somewhere in terms of their lives, and and uh, and, and they latch on to certain ideas that they feel like are in their interests. And without without a sophisticated political education, uh, it's, on the surface things can be seem simple. Uh, but you know that's why socialism is a science and must be pursued as a science. 
um, must be studied. Um, you know, um, these police and how they affect on children. Uh, you know, uh, you say in psychiatrists and and, um, and doctors and, and counselors and should all weigh in on it. Um, uh, I, 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 I don't. I don't favor, um, you know, just it's just more funds for the police. It's just seeing like they they want to be um, inevitable and 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 necessity or something, and that um and that the people should depend on them or whatever, uh, as opposed to defunding the police. Uh, so you know, fear. Fear is, is a real, real problem. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Panelists, as we continue, just look at this whole issue of schools and the psychological world that is taking place on the minds of our children. One of the things I noticed, and I'd like to get all your response before we go to our uh, break, is that in the inner cities, seem like new schools. Yeah, the architecture design or designing of new schools seem to have a structure of like building prisons. Many of the schools today, they are not, or they do not have many windows. Very few sunshine come in. Many schools today, they have numbers on the outside of different sections. Or, or, or the building, like in the cell block. Many schools today, the children do not know how to go to cafeteria. They have a security guard come on, knock on that door, and tell them to come and get their food, and then take it back to their classroom. What in the hell is going on? Have they turned a lot of these public schools into modern-day prisons, palaces? Brother Hackey, you can respond first. Brother Africa, like I said, we playing checkers and they playing chess. Listen, you know, everything they do, uh, there's a rationale behind it. We may not understand the rationale behind it, but trust me, there's always a rationale behind it. When you build schools that look like prisons and when you treat children like prisoners, example, when you, when you, when you, when you line them up, go to lunch and back to the cell block and they back in and they locked up in, in that room, when you do that, you, 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 those things that are important to kids' development, like social skills in terms of ability to interact with others, becomes undermined. So you need to have this kind of this kind of uh, interaction to enhance the kids' social understanding in terms of what it is to be a human being in this world. But when you when you when you criticize a narrative or situation where the kids go back to their cell, I mean, to the to the classroom, and they're locked in to eat then essentially what you're doing is preparing them for a life of, life of incarceration. We don't understand it often because what happens, I think, is that we perceive it as somehow as a, as a safety control mechanism and not understanding that in the context of that whole safety control mechanism, we, 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 we undermine that child's development. Do we really want to undermine the child's development? I don't think most people consciously, most parents consciously want to undermine their kids' social development. But that's precisely what's going on, because the people who make these decisions, you know, uh, you know, take these decisions from above. They're just not arbitrarily making decisions, because when these decisions take place, 
they impact they affect impact entire entire the uh, 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 entire region or the entire school district. It's just not one school that does it. It's the entire district that does it. So this, so these decisions are made higher up. And we got to understand that when we talk about the role of propaganda, let's be very, very clear. You know, when I keep saying these people, we, these people, we playing checkers, these people playing chess, understand that all this stuff has implications, and we have to understand that. I think one thing, let me just say this, and let me just close about Africa. The whole thing is that, you know, you know, when, when you build a school uh, and there are no windows in the school, you know, uh, to cut people off, to cut the children off from the outside, in and of itself is problematic, because one of the things you certainly need to do, just in terms of in terms of your your your, 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 your in terms of human awareness, uh, one of the ways you facilitate that is to ensure that you can see other human beings. So that kid in the classroom, you know, uh, has the opportunity, you know, in addition to doing the work, but actually look outside and see somebody walk down the street or so forth and so on. Now some people take a position where if they did that, the kids are. Uh, distracted, so not having any glass in the glass is a good thing because the kids can't see anything. But I'm not sure if I'm not sure if if, if that's if, if I mean if but if you balance that uh, with with the so- social and societal needs of that child, uh, with this whole issue around control, uh, when you, when you take a position that control or the safety factor is more important than those than that aspect which reinforces. The social and human aspect in terms of what it is to be a human being, then you do so. You, you do you do a disservice to that child and to community and to the society generally. So I have a difficult time with these these schools looking like prisons. It's unbelievable because the whole point, if you start thinking about prisons, the reason why prisons are like that, where you don't have glass and you have just these giant buildings, you know, which you, you know, uh, which prisons can't see out of. The reason why is they want to isolate those those inmates from the community. In other words. As part of a punishment, you know, as part of not being part of society, they're isolated. Why would you want to recreate that kind of scenario where you have the kids who are isolated and separate from society? That makes no sense. If you want a well-adapted, uh, well-adapted, uh, uh, conscientious human being, then they have to be able to see and interact with other human beings, not just those ones who are confined to the space that they're confined in, but able to freely, you know, to, to look around, to gauge, you know, to you know, to, to engage others in terms of, you know, in terms of the social aspect, in terms of humanity. So clearly, Brother Africa, I think, you know, one of the things we have, I think this whole question around them playing, them playing, you know, uh, they're playing chess. Until we come to the realization that we start playing chess, you know, they're going to continue to run circles around us. And I'm very much concerned that that's, that's to the detriment of the children. You know, Brother Anthony, as we continue to talk about this question of designing the schools and how they have an impact on your child development, we know from scientific fact that you can create environments that would have an impact on perceptions of how you can see things. Now, if that is true, then... How do you how do you allow these situations like designing brand new schools? And it's interesting when you look at these new schools, most of them who are designed like that are based on in the inner cities. When you go out in rural areas or when you go to areas where there are large European populations, they have a totally different design. The color schemes inside the buildings are bright and shiny and make you feel energetic. 
wins in any city. The color design are dull, boring. I mean, how do you continue to let them get away with the games they're playing with our children? What can uh, you do about that? Well, let's answer? see. Uh, they, a uh, couple of factors. One, uh, and I and I I keep coming to back to this. We are disorganized as a people, and uh, one of the, the implications of that is because we're disorganized, and also because we are preoccupied with our jobs. Uh, you know, uh, because uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of our people are in jobs that pay so little. They have to work two or three jobs to support their families. That one of the implications of that is they do not have the time or energy to do the appropriate monitoring of what happens to their children in these elementary schools. And, uh, you know, uh, and uh, so the schools get away with doing whatever they want to do because uh, a lot of parents aren't even active in their PTAs or PTSAs, whatever whatever the parent-teacher organization is called. And uh, to the extent that they still exist, most parents do not participate in them. And that's one vehicle of of one way of finding out what is happening inside the school system. Another way, and again, a lot of a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, you know, are working multiple jobs, so they don't have time to do this. Is to meet with the students' uh, teachers to find out uh, how things are going, what's going on in the classroom, whether what uh, what is supposed to take place in the school actually is taking place. But uh, most of our parents do not have that ability to do that sort of monitoring. And uh, also, a lot of our students are being taught by teachers that do not have any relationship to the community that they're serving. In other words, they, uh, they come from outside our community. So what we have is, uh, as Malcolm correctly described, is a segregated system. Even though, uh, uh, let's see, that was supposed to be supposed to be done away with uh, decades ago. But uh, when uh, the education of your youth is controlled by people from outside your community then you have a segregated system in effect. And uh, so, uh, so, and uh, also, and also the fact that parents do not monitor what is going on in the school system because uh, they don't, they don't, they, they, they are operating off of assumptions that uh, learning is taking place 
that uh, that their children are being treated correctly, but they don't know because they do not they are not able to monitor what is going on in the school system. Sister Eleanor, is it ever acceptable to put handcuffs on a child because he has some kind of disruptive behavior in the classroom? When I say disruptive behavior, I'm not talking about like killing somebody, but he would do things that children would do at such a young, young stage. But right now we can see this is going on all the way down to elementary level. A kid might hit a teacher. A kid may be hogging the classroom. A kid may not listen to somebody. But they do but they do things that children are expected to do at that stage of their development. And they called in the police to handle these young children. Is that ever acceptable? to have that kind of discipline or display that kind of discipline on that level when we come on this question of children and education. Sister Eleanor, your response. It's absolutely unacceptable to handcuff children or to engage children with the police in that fashion. The reality is, is that right now we could have Zuckerberg take down off of media, formerly Facebook, uh, these uh, instruments, social media instruments that reward these young people, uh, 18 and 22-year-olds, for going in and uh, attacking blacks in grocery stores, Hispanic elementary school children in classrooms, um, Jewish people on the Sabbath. This is a, a, a trend that social media is playing a huge role in. If anyone needs to pull out the handcuffs and take them in, they need to take them in to, uh, to Silicon Valley. And no, it's entirely unacceptable. And in most environments, I think you still do not the officers, there's a huge uh, trend in the media to say that there's a need for officers. Donald Trump, while president, discussed teachers bearing arms while in the classroom, and Governor Abbott of Texas um, discussed this as a phenomenon. Right now, as Brother Moses said and the other analysts frequently, Brother Haiki discussed, there is a real fight against authoritarianism, against fascism in this country and in many countries around the world, such as Brazil, India. And so this is the big fight. And there is also a reality of not, having true um, journalism. You see uh, Hassan, Julian Hassan is uh, being, uh, has been sentenced in a stemcha, I believe, to 175 years in jail for simply being a journalist. But no, police should never 
put their hands on children. It should be a crime for them to do so and certainly not to handcuff them. And unfortunately, it's African children, poor children, uh, that this is happening to. We saw with the immigrant crises uh, during the Trump administration, children separated from their parents, perhaps never to be returned. We see these kind of crises throughout our society. We see in Washington, D.C., George Washington University, where many people were had no means of burying themselves in modern society, donated their bodies to uh, science, and the university failed to keep track of their names and their identification and their relatives. So they were sued. So the the real criminals, if we're going to take out the handcuffs, let's take them out. Let's make sure that 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 there is a jury that has the guts in Washington D.C. to a grand jury to indict Donald Trump and to um, if, if, if the evidence presents itself to sentence to to find him guilty and bring out the handcuffs. Make sure that the insurrectionists of January 6th experience the handcuffs, but certainly not African children. There is no need, to, and this behavior is a form of abuse, and it's being promoted. Uh, this kind of stuff is promoted through social media as well as the games that they play on their Xbox and and other uh, gaming systems. So we need to move away from this authoritarianism, from this um, um, guns create safety. What they do is um, they become a tool of power. You're frightened. Someone has a weapon. Someone has handcuffs. You're frightened of them. People avoid officers in the street. Right now, there's a lack of, uh, of of communication. You see many communities where there is a need for some type of social intervention to create safety. We find only the militarization of the police. We find parents calling the police because they have a mentally ill child, and the child ends up dead. So we need to develop other resources in our community to address social issues. And right now the most important thing is for us as a community to recognize education as a basic human right. Ergo, as a human right, there is no need for the police in that scenario. And it is, I believe, a crime to put handcuffs on a child. And social media is uh, playing a huge role in promoting that type of criminal behavior. And we can crush it by taking action against the silicone entrepreneurs. Brother Moses. How much responsibilities fall on the parents as it relates to tolerating these kind of policies and behaviors toward our children? 
the many schools that have administration, administrations Africans, the teachers are Africans, the counselors are Africans. I mean, how much responsibility do they bear on participating in a arena that creates situations that are not favorable to the well-being of our children? What is your thoughts on that, Brother Moses? I believe we need community-based schools um, that the community is involved in and, uh, and um, the parent-teachers associations, et cetera. Um, this, if, you're, if you have a child, you should be monitoring the, the, the people who are educating them and um, knowing what's going on. And uh, I know I lived in a commune back in the 70s, and, uh, you know, I attended PTA meetings uh, because we had children, and, uh, and you know, we were, we were definitely concerned about education. Um, I think it's, it's a natural responsibility that everyone should have if you're raising kids and you're sending them to school, you should be involved in, in the school system. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. You're listening to Africa on the Move. I'm Brother Africa. We're speaking with our panelists and analysts today. They're in the seat, and they're going to take the heat, because as they define it, they're going to stand behind it. We're going to take a station break, and when we come back, we're going to make a transition to discussing that theme tonight, looking at the past and present. And we invite you to join us. I'm dialing in at 323-679-0841. This is Africa on the Moon.
a negative attitude towards Africa. In San Francisco, on African Liberation Day, Brother Walter Rodney, an African historian, noted both the importance of African Liberation Day in terms of our African identity and some of the root causes for our problem of identification. I have met brothers and sisters who say that their mother tongue, quote unquote, is French, Spanish, Dutch, Portuguese, as well as English, which we speak. And because of this, we have a problem of identification. We do not know whom we are. And that is why this gathering is of great symbolic importance, because it is an act of identification. We are saying that we identify with the African people of the African continent. We are saying that we are an African people. And when we make this identification, have no illusions about the fact that this is a very revolutionary initiative. It is a rejection of every other form of identification which the white society has asked us to accept. Let me draw your attention to something which white universities and white libraries practice. And this is a university community. Numerous universities lie around this land. Go into their libraries and check the Library of Congress cards under Europe or European. You will find all entries listed concerning the continent of Europe. You will also find entries listed about Europeans in East Africa, Europeans in North Africa, Europeans in Asia and Australia. Look under the Chinese, you will find entries listed not only for mainland China, but for Malaysia and for the Chinese in, in, the, in North America. But look under Africa and the Africans, the only entries under Africans relate to the continent itself. There are no entries on the Africans overseas. There is no such category. Africans who have been raped from the continent mysteriously disappear and become Negro. You had to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. This is the 11th day of September of 2022. Our theme tonight is part one, looking at the past and present. Before we get into our discussion with the team, what we would like to do right now is share with you some upcoming events that are very important to our people and our communities. And we'd like to bring in Dr. Anthony to ask him to give us an update and talk a little bit about what's going to happen on September the 18th, which is next Sunday at 12 noon, as it relates to Nkuma Day. Brother Anthony, organized for the All African People Brotherhood of DC, will be hosting and sponsoring this event where you share with our listening audience the nature of this event and what should we expect from it. Brother Anthony. Certainly. Uh, next week, next Sunday to be exact, the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, is organizing Kwame Nkrumah Day. Uh, this will take place at 12 noon. It's a Zoom webinar. And uh, our theme 
is Pan-Africanism must be the primary objective of African revolutionaries worldwide. Uh, We're doing this to commemorate the birthday of Kwame Nkrumah, which is September 21st. And uh, in honor of, in his honor, we're organizing our annual commemoration of Kwame Nkrumah Day. Our theme, uh, as is indicated, is we plan on having a presentation and discussion on what it means to be a Pan-Africanist. And uh, we'll be discussing uh, how uh, Pan-Africanism emerged into its current definition, which is the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Therefore, if one claims to be a Pan-Africanist, one, they must identify themselves as being African and belonging to the African nation. They must uh, push for scientific socialism and they must push for the unification of all of Africa from Cape to Cairo from Morocco to Madagascar Africa must be seen as one uh Kwame Nkrumah devoted his entire adult life to achieving this objective. And and, uh, he wrote extensively upon this. That is why his thoughts, ideas, practices, beliefs are a part of uh, the ideology he helped found in Krumism Tourism, which is the ideology of our party, the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Uh, this year marks the 50th year since uh, Kwame Nkrumah transitioned. And it was uh, 50 years ago on September 17th that we proclaimed the existence of the All African People's Revolutionary Party at Howard University on September 17th, 1972. And uh, in over 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 the years, we as an organization uh, established work study circles to study uh, incrumism terrorism. We took African Liberation Day back to Africa 
when other forces tried to take the focus of African Liberation Day away from Africa. We did that within a, a, four, a, a, a period of four years. And uh, we, uh, we also established uh, a women's wing. The All African People's Revolu- All African Women's Revolutionary Union, in order to uh, advance uh, the liberation of the African woman, and uh, so we uh, so we're we're organizing this webinar in order to analyze and discuss what it means to be a Pan-Africanist today. And uh, unfortunately, because of uh, ideological opportunity and confusion, there is a lot of confusion about what is Pan-Africanism, what it means, what does it mean to be a Pan-Africanist, and uh, this is something we're going to analyze at this webinar. In order to register for this webinar, uh, let's see, uh, please go visit our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org, in order to register for this webinar. Uh, there's no uh, th- there's no price for admission, but we but uh, but participants are required to register in order to participate, and we encourage your participation in order to learn more about Pan Africanism and uh, share what you or your organization is doing to bring this about. Thank you, Brother Anthony, and to Brother Haki. We know that we are Africa on the Move, along with other organizations, is partnering with the African Awareness Association, Anthony, on the annual Freedom Ride Tour to Cuba, which will take place January 23rd to the 30th, 2023. It's an excellent time to bring in the new year. Brother Haki, we come to you to ask you about the importance of the trips uh, to Cuba. Well, you know, in a nutshell, uh, visiting Cuba is important simply because of the examples it espouses. Uh, one of the things we often talk about the importance of humanity, uh, you know, but here we have an example of a country of a people committed, you know, uh, you know to, to positive change, to revolutionary change. That in and of itself is something that, you know, we, we, we have to, you know, not only respect, but something certain we have to in, in embrace. Uh, one of the things when you talk about the the contributions of, of Cuba, you, you can't you can't help but talk about the educational system, and you have an educational system that creates some of the best scientists, best uh, doctors in the world. And, and the question becomes, how can such a small impoverished nation of 12 million people achieve such great things? Well, clearly it starts with an, with an ideology. It clearly starts with an idea in terms of, you know, what must be done for the masses of people in terms of moving forward. Now, if you contrast that with what's going on in America, and you look in terms of the the uh, the, the dropout rate among students in America, when you look at uh, uh, when you look at the 
um, disconnection uh, between the, the the importance of education and the and the views of of, of, of youth. Uh, they include there's something fundamentally missed in terms of America, you know, as it relates to to education. So we go to Cuba, then we come again to understand in terms of the social dynamics, in terms of why it's so important in terms of, you know, people working together in terms of create the best possible results. In Cuba, you have educational system which people actually work with each other, not against each other. In America, we tend to be very, very competitive. So therefore, we, our position is that, you know, as long as I excel academically, then I don't care about you. And certainly that is the wrong way in terms of proceeding educationally if you're going to rise, you know, as a society. So clearly we can learn a lot from Cuba in terms of its educational principles. Also, I think just in terms of revolutionary principles, I think it's important we go to Cuba uh, because one of the things, when you look at, you know, uh, for instance, there's a committee in the community called the Committee for Defense of the Revolution. These are brothers and sisters in the communities working, you know, to resolve those issues in which they perceive as issues. Uh, these individuals, you know, who have a relationship, you know, with the Central Committee, can articulate their concerns in terms of the the, the, move, the the movement of the country in terms of what is best serve the interests of the masses of people there in Cuba. So imagine if we had a similar kind of, of structure here in America where we could actually have that kind of organization, that kind of power to achieve things. You know, earlier we were talking about in terms of, you know, um, parents being unengaged uh, in terms of uh, non-engaged in terms of uh, in terms of the school system. Uh, but imagine if we had a, a community setting which you know uh, in which uh, which people naturally work together in terms of addressing those those issues they perceive as wrong, and being so powerful actually to impact uh, real real change. So from that, you know, uh, we we can learn a lot. So we encourage people to go to Cuba firsthand to talk to the to the brothers and sisters of the Committee of Defense of the Revolution, and ask them, you know, very candidly in terms of you know um, your views in terms of things. Uh, mere fact that um, they're so educated that they're you know they you know they can converse to you about any subject you know and that's a tribute to the fact that Cuba educational system is very very one of the top you know, one of the top educational systems in the world and so the mere fact that they're very very educated they can they can contrast they can look at Cuban society they can look at American society they can make the contrast and they can criticize what criticizes do what criticism is due. Uh, so clearly, and clearly, I think people should understand also that the Cubans are not anti-American; they're anti-U.S. government. They understand what the government is doing to their to their country, and they understand that. But they hold no 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 they hold no hostility toward American people, because they understand American people don't have any say so in terms of the political direction of society. So so fear not in terms of the potential terms of you know hostile being treated host- hostilely, and that's simply not simply not going to happen. Uh, so we encourage people to go firsthand and see for themselves in terms of what makes Cuba such a great place. And when you stop and think about the fact that you're talking about 12 million people and you talk about a giant country as big as America, threatened by such a tiny country, the question inevitably becomes, why would such a thing be? Well, Cuba ideologically uh, proposes, proposes a, 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 a political, if not a, a, a ideological threat to the United States in terms of how it's organized. And because it's organized in a way in which the resources of the country are, for the int- are geared toward the interests of, the, of all the people of the society, the U.S. fundamentally sees it as a threat. Because imagine if American people begin to understand that, you know, um, that America has a responsibility to all the citizens and that the way resources are currently disseminated, only one-tenth one, one of one of the population gets to enjoy the riches of society. Imagine if American people become that realization that there's something fundamentally wrong. So that, so so Cuba 
uh, represents an existential threat to America in terms of the possibility that someday the masses of American people will begin to see clearly that we are all being duped about a system which is uh, uh, unjust at its core. So we need. So clearly, we need you to go to to Cuba, see if you have for yourself firsthand, talk to the people, learn learn as much as you can while you're there, and bring back some of those examples back to the United States. Because the situation is that the situation is so perilous for our people in the society that we have to have some some concrete fundamental ways in terms of, you know, not only acknowledging the problems that that we're dealing with, but to, to address those problems that we're dealing with. So Cuba uh, offers that that perspective, and I close with that. And to our listening audience who would like to go, they can contact the African Awareness Association by emailing them at African Awareness Association two at gmail.com. All spelled together. African Awareness Association two at gmail.com. When we come back, we're gonna get our final thoughts for the night. And this will be part one of the two-part series looking at the past and present. We'll be right back. Africa on the moon.
And you the same, Brother Moses. Good night to you. Sister Eleanor, you'll find the thoughts for tonight. Are you with us, Sister Eleanor? While we wait for Sister Eleanor. Yes, yes, I am here. And I'd like to thank you for another wonderful show and to fellow panelists and to and to just say that the militarization of our societies and of urban and rural areas is not the solution and that police have no place in public schools uh, or have no place in schools and we need to get rid of the dual judiciary system one for the wealthy and the affluent and big corporations and another for us Africans and the working class this is failing, and uh, we have the power to change this right now. And uh, with that in mind, I'd like to say uh, good evening and uh, have a wonderful week. And thank you once again for allowing me to be on the show. And you have a good weekend, and Sister Eleanor, you take care. We thank you. Next, we're going to Brother Haki. Brother Haki, your final thoughts for tonight. Yeah, it's just a, a, a cautionary tale. Uh, you know, recently, uh, um, China and Russia uh, were able to fill, to, to, to uh, complete a, a, a process in which exchange of money will be conducted in terms of, you know, their currency. What that fundamentally means is that uh, the U.S. dollar is no longer applicable in terms of international trade. It's no longer needed. Now, because it's no longer needed, it's going to create a real uh, economic uh, hardship for the U.S. economy because, after all, the U.S. economy is predicated on the movement of dollars. As dollars circulate through, you know, through the world system, uh, it ensures the vi- not only the viability of the dollar, but it ensures in terms of the, the longevity, longevity of the dollar. Where with this emergence in terms of this trade being conducted in, in, in countries' own currency, it's going to create a real hardship in terms of ability of dollars to be used henceforth to circulate around the world. Now, what does that mean for the masses of people here in America? It means that when we talk about the economic decline, and also when we talk about you know after a new economic decline in society. That economic decline is going to actually um, it's going to it's going to increase, and this is the thing that we got to be concerned about. Uh, you know, tonight we talked about the fact that all kinds of measures have taken place with respect, you know, to the education system and how kids are fundamentally being disempowered uh, from receiving a, a quality education. Uh, so when we talk about that, we understand that this is part of a broader strategy because the people in positions of power in America understand. Fundamentally, that if you have a large educated group of people, uh, they pose, pose a potential threat uh, to, to the system at large. And so in that context, what you want to do is create, create means in terms of eliminating uh, people who have access uh, to quality education. So if you start at a very early age in terms of creating these social conditions, which adversely impact the social conditioning, or in, in effect, impacts the academic ability of children, then you destroy them for the future. And so the system has no problem in terms of doing that. They're not going to tell you that. You have to figure that out. Uh, they're not going to tell you what they're doing. You have to figure that out. And as such, you know, when I keep saying, you know, we have to start playing chess and not checkers, 
I really mean that because the bottom line is that these people, you know, are in it to win it. And uh, they understand that the system is in decline and given that level of hubris and arrogance, arrogance that they carry with them, they're convinced that they can somehow uh, skirt history and uh, maintain power indefinitely. Of course, you and I understand historically no empire has ever stayed in power forever. You don't understand that. But America, with its hubris, are convinced they can do it. In order for them to do it, they're convinced they have to destroy a countless number of lives in order to achieve that end. So I encourage people, you know, to understand, you know, that uh, when, when things happen in the community in which, you know, you, you perceive as somehow unimportant, think again. A lot of times these, these things that happen in the community, they're very, very subtle, but they have a, 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 a logic behind them. And often that logic uh, spells uh, the destruction of a community. So having said that, Brother Africa, I always encourage people to unravel the matrix. Uh, that is key. Uh, you know, we talk about the importance of institution, talk about community building. Now is the time. The bottom line is that, you know, no one knows how much time we got, you know, for power at large makes a move in terms of just shutting down totally any type of, any type of correspondence, any type of uh, communication that tends to empower. So in that context, you know, we have to become aware in terms of, you know, the, the time factor in terms of trying to trying to bring about some redress in terms of this insanity that we're, we're confronted with. And after saying that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. And thank you, Brother Haki. You have a good night. Next, we'll go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for today's program. The mic is yours. Yes. My final thought for today is that we must organize and politically educate ourselves to our current reality and history. We must join an organization that is working to achieve Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. This is the ultimate solution to the problems Africans face worldwide, such as poverty, racism, Settler colonialism, neocolonialism, Zionism, and all other manifestations of exploitation of one human being by another. So join an organization that is working to achieve Pan-Africanism. One such organization is the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. You can find out more about us by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. And while there, you can register for our webinar on Kwame Nkrumah Day, which takes place next Sunday, September 18th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Thank you for having me on the program tonight. Thank you, Anthony. I thank all our political panelists and analysts for today's program. I thank our supporters, our listeners, our audience for allowing us to come to your home this evening where we can speak to the powerless and the powerful. One of the things we like to remind you that we always must understand the importance of information because without information, you could not think. But more critically, you must grasp the importance of organization. Because only through being organized where you can think clearly. 
So give no true performance information organization if you apply those things in our daily life. We will become a better person, a better people, and we'll be on the road towards our liberation. Don't forget that you can support this program by just spreading the word. Let your friends know to come check out Africa on the Moon every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yes. If you'd like to come a friend of Africa on the Moon and support us, email us and let us know by emailing Africa on the Moon. The number two at gmail.com. So until next time, like always, let's just try to go forward our backwards level. This is Brother Africa, and this has been Africa on the Moon, looking at the past and prison, part one. We'll see you next week. Africa will be free.
and scientists now concede that Africa is the birthplace of mankind. Africans were the first builders of civilization. They discovered mathematics, invented writing, developed sciences, engineering, medicine, religion, fine arts, and built the Great Pyramids, an architectural achievement which still baffles modern science. The 225th Emperor, Emperor, direct descent from Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, Sheba, Sheba. He is the King of Kings, the Lion of Judah. Africa, the science and the art of Africa. 
Africa Deliberate yourself, Africa Keep your hands up Full of Africa, a legend of the bar, Africa.
brothers and sisters across the sea. I'm speaking for the debt, and we make a plea to fight apartheid, everybody. To fight against the wicked and help Mugabe. To fight apartheid and assist Nairi. Support the MK and the ANC. We want to see Nelson and Winnie free. You don't know, you need to study. And when you do, we're sure you'll agree. They need help, but so do we. Them with their government, us and mentality. Angola, Soweto, Zimbabwe, Tanzania, Zambia, Mozambique, Botswana. So let us speak about the motherland. Where 
where knowledge is forming, you learn to be self-sufficient, independent, to teach the East is what rap intended, but society wants to invade, so do not walk this path that they laid it. Well, I 
From the cold gray cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun, pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. When the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be. Know that I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. It's an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yeah. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Okay. One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, Let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that. that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Mosaddegh. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that's mm-hmm. his music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure. After you divorce yourself from the right wing propaganda campaign, it's all simple and plain. America can stand the game. Your president got an African name. Now who you gon' blame when they drop the bombs out of them planes? Using depleted uranium, babies looking like two-headed aliens. Follow the money trail that leads to the criminal, and nothing subliminal to it. That's how they do it. See the game they run. Give a fuck if he's cunning, articulate, and handsome. Afghanistan held for ransom by the hand of this black man, neo-colonial. 
Then they gave him a Nobel Peace Prize Should've known he was trained in Chicago Worker Chairman Fred and Mark Clark What they do in the dark will come out in the light Like a WikiLeaks site So I guess the crew was right Who's ready to fight? Last stage of imperialism I ain't kidding In the immortal words of Marvin Gaye This ain't living and Malia are huge fans, but uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you, predator drones. You will never see it coming. You think I'm joking?
Situation. His last speech got him assassinated. Black business was booming. It wasn't just a consumer. Controlling our narrative. We have more marriages. And see what the damage did. They ain't that bad a bitch. And welfare did it's way worse than the slavery. I'll never be an agent. I don't care what they pay me. Seem like Nip had the same old story. If we pay a black hater, tell a different allegory. Like Pearl Harbor and 9-11 was a mystery. Supremacy will go the extent to keep their history alive. All I'm saying, if these leaders was alive. Who be on the internet trying to divide? And use a hotel hustler. Trying to fear people of that low vibe structure. Agree to disagree and we ain't got to tear our own down. Argue in silence or forever be our own downfall. All I want to say is that we're giving it away. Soul ain't for sale and the devil is a fake. Argue with the silence but don't let it steal our faith. Hide behind doors but don't ever show our face. Cause come on, hats with us. Come on, come hats with us. It be our own people do the trolling. Be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Cause the mom had Twitter, the Malcolm had Twitter. It be our own people do the trolling. Just be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going?
Sometimes the key to life you looking for be right in front of you Tried to show my man hidden colors, he said nothing new I said, what if we been lied to, most of our freaking lives Every year coming tonight, and you ain't speaking right Your arrogance precedes you What if your faith did, I spoke to God on Wednesday He said, most of it's basic Million dollar mindset to be flying, stay hungry Hieroglyphic writing on walls you couldn't take from me A man laid dead in the street today I must have on my head Landed in 1940 or something, I swear And all I have is love and joy to give I need to spread my wings I need to fly away I want to get high today Who got five on my little bundle of temporary Man, I want to live long enough to be legendary Your statistics said by now that I'm gonna be dead and buried But when I heard your voice, it seems as if we met already And I'm marched for our rights, that civil, the same purpose Two different tribes and we fighting the same person Could it be that our eyes was deceiving us? We had to have faith when nobody believed in us Cosmic companionship sustained me after my husband was assassinated and gave me the strength to make my contribution to carrying forward his unfinished work. A man laid dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away.